This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. This is The Word, a new podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Republicans who lost Senate seats in Georgia have responded with a new law aimed at keeping black voters from the polls. Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock says he and the people are fighting back. I've got news for the state of Georgia and for those who are trying to take the people's voices. In various ways, we're going to keep on knocking on that door. What's next for the battle to keep elections free and fair in Georgia? If they ever were, that's coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. A January special election in Georgia brought a historic number of voters of color to the polls and sent two Democrats to the Senate. Now comes the backlash. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has recently signed a law imposing a raft of ridiculous restrictions on the state's voters. Everything from cutting back on absentee ballot boxes to criminalizing giving food and water to people waiting in long voting lines, lines created by his very same policies. Now the army of activists who turned Georgia blue are battling to keep it that way. Latasha Brown will be on the front lines of the fight. She's co-founder of Black Voters Matter, one of the groups that helped Democrats win the Georgia Senate seats and tons of races across the South. Latasha Brown joins us now on A Word. Welcome, Latasha. Thank you, Jason, for having me. So I just want to start with this. Did you all think that this was going to happen no matter what? Did you think that Brian Kemp was always going to sign laws like this? Had it always sort of been in the hopper? Or do you think it was a direct response to Democrats doing so well in the state last November? If you know the history of the South and um, voting behavior in the South, that anytime there's been a, a black advancement or black people have showed up, you know, what we've seen is we've seen a white backlash on some form or fashion, something punitive that normally comes up to try to prevent or marginalize our voice and our votes. And so on one hand, there was something to be expected. We had this historic turnout in this last election cycle. You know, what I think was very, um, in some ways, shocking is I don't think we knew that they would go that far, really predicate all of this on a on a big lie that mm. when you look at the state of Georgia, what he fundamentally did is all the things that Trump wanted in place for him to be able to steal and grab and change the results of Georgia. That's essentially what Brian Kemp did. Now, mind you, this is a state 
that both the House, the, the entire legislative branch and the governor's office is all those are all Republicans. So the truth of the matter is the Republicans ran this election and mm-hmm. believe you me, everything they could do to cheat within reason, right. legal reason, they did that. Right? right. And so I think it was a little shocking um, in that in the sense of how fast it moved and just how outright racist, you know, these bills were right. like they, they didn't even try to fix them up to make it seem like it was for anything else other than we're going to stop black people from voting. Right. You know, um, I think that that's what the attack is. There's an attack on voters in the state is also attack on black leadership in the state. And I'll, and I'll share why. And there's attack on black organizations. So this is a full frontal attack of literally the universe, the ecosystem that actually helps to mobilize, to empower and protect the black vote. Because essentially, you know, Fulton County was a, is a county that you have a sizable black of uh, uh, black population. Atlanta is a majority black city. DeKalb County is a majority black county. And mm-hmm. so those were the counties, quite frankly, that when you look at the vote share, they made the difference in this election cycle, right? Yep. Which was propelled primarily by black voters, with other voters as well, um, particularly communities of color, but propelled by black voters. But what was, what is, um, so egregious in, in this bill is that now it would give the GOP will actually have the ability to take over power from the Secretary of State. And so now within this bill, it will take over the Secretary of State's office. It will actually take over power of the Board of Elections in the different counties. So DeKalb County and Fulton County, which they could not control um, because you do have black leadership in those places and um, on those boards of elections that now they've basically essentially given themselves power that they can actually just nullify and say, "We, we don't agree with the results. I've covered Georgia. I've been down there. I used to live down there. And one thing I've seen is a particular level of aggression towards black women when it comes to politics. We got, I think it was Nakima who got arrested, who was, who was right. a congresswoman, who's now in John Lewis's seat. And then just this last week, Georgia state lawmaker Park Cannon, all she did was knock on the door of the governor's office in order to watch him sign legislation in a room full of white people. And then something happened. We're going to play a clip about what happened to Park Cannon, and we're going to talk about it on the other side. She is an elected representative. You are choosing to arrest an elected official. Cite the statute. Cite the statute that you are arresting her under. Tell us some of the things that you and Black Voters Matter have faced in Georgia. What kind of intimidation and sometimes government-sponsored or vigilante levels of violence have you faced just trying to organize people to vote? This history of Jim Crow and this history of how there has always been this parallel of not just voter suppression, but violence, right, that has been um, directed, inflicted in our communities and directed at Black women. You know, I've seen that clip a million times. I think this is the first time that I've actually really just heard it from audio. And it struck me, something struck me in just hearing it just now around the other black women that were actually coming to her defense. You know, it's something about that that made something well up into me around how black women are treated. Um, that we are one that we are, how we're mistreated and black people in general mistreated um, with those who abuse power, but also how courageous sisters are, yeah. right. Um, to stand in the gap. And so, what we've seen in Georgia, in South Georgia, is that we will pull up. I mean, it was like the heat of the night. We will pull up <laughs> in these rural communities and at a gas station and the and in front of us, 
you know, the, the gas station owner would literally take the sign and say close. He wow. might as well say Negroes are not welcome and wow. literally just like look at us and close the sign. One trip we were going from Alabama to Georgia, coming back to Georgia, the bus, we actually, the windows got burst out and the state trooper refused to even go look at the window to file a report. Oh, the white state trooper, um, black officers came who were with the city police and the local county sheriff's office. And it was because of them that literally we were actually attended to. You know, even in Georgia, I've gotten unknown, unmarked packages from Russia right. sent to my house. You know, the bottom line is that it is that kind of contentious environment mm-hmm. that we've had to actually hire layers of security as we move around the state. But nevertheless, can't stop, won't stop. We, we continue to go. A lot of the discussion about Georgia has been putting pressure on businesses. What is the role of putting pressure on Delta or Coca-Cola or Home Depot or any of these businesses? One, how do you guys do that? Two, is is it really effective? Like, can it, it could Home Depot, Delta or Coca-Cola make a difference in these kinds of laws? So that's an excellent question. You know, I think we also have to recognize as organizers, you know, there's always a relationship between the politics and the economics, always, Mm -hmm. right? And so what we have launched in Georgia is a corporate accountability campaign. You know, Mm -hmm. we took out a couple of ads, full page ads in um, local newspapers all across the state, including the the, the ones with the largest circulations, just calling the question, like, like, are are you standing with the voters of Georgia? Uh, A few years ago, there was an abortion ban bill that was in Georgia. And what happened? There were corporations and businesses, primarily the film industry took a lot of lead that time Mm -hmm. that said, we're not coming to Georgia. We can't do that. We're not doing business in Georgia. And this is the kind of things that you all are passing. We saw the same thing in North Carolina with the bathroom bill. My point is those corporations have an enormous amount of influence and political capital. Tell us a little bit about this sort of slate of, of black Fortune 500 CEOs that are out there now doing sort of advocacy work and telling these large businesses that they need to pay attention as well. Number one, I will say, I'm going to just lift up that that is what real accountable corporate leadership looks like. Mm-hmm. That to come out and use your power, your space of privilege to say this is wrong and our company is going to call and speak to that being wrong. You know, we saw that with Salesforce. Every mm-hmm. chance I get, I like to shout out Salesforce because they're not even based in Georgia. Mm-hmm. Um, and they literally came out with, I think, the strongest and the most clear statement around uh, these voter suppression bills in Georgia. These black CEOs that have come out and said that this voter suppression is unacceptable mm-hmm. and they're going to use the weight of their companies to really push um, the defeat of these bills all across the nation. That is something that is critical. That is something that is needed, should be lifted up. And I do think that it's going to change the trajectory. There's a real conflict here. Obviously, you've shown that you can put pressure on a lot of huge Fortune 500 companies to try to change what's happening with voter suppression in Georgia. But you have other people who say we should just boycott these companies. Where do you fall on this? Do you think that that corporate pressure on brand is more effective or do you think boycotting is the best way to put pressure on state governments to roll back some of these voter suppression laws they're trying to pass? I don't know if I think that there's either or. I think it's and. I think that black, you know, there's always this kind of idea that black people should only have access to one form of pressure. I think when people are fighting you and your community is under attack, you should use every single tool that's available to you. (laughs) Well, I do believe that. And so the AME churches actually call for a boycott. And while my organization in particular has not called for a boycott, we're also not telling people not to boycott. We believe that people should make choices of who they spend. They spend their money with their hard earned money with those companies that are 
align with their values. But we're also saying that there are other strategies as well. And I think that you have to have all of those tools that are working in concert together to put the pressure and light on folks to make these companies actually step up and stand out. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on Georgia voting rights. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about the fight for voting rights in Georgia with Latasha Brown of Black Voters Matter. So I want to step back a moment and and talk about you. Now, how did you come up with the idea for Black Voters Matter? What prompted you into creating this kind of organization, this kind of activism? Um, Black Voters Matter was created in 2016 by myself, along with my brother, Cliff Albright, um, who is my comrade and brother in the struggle. We've been working together as activists, as social justice activists for over 25 years. I think a turning point campaign for us was in 2000. In 2000, um, he and I were both very active in helping to elect the first black mayor of Selma, um, which is a big deal. I need people to understand the background of that, which is literally when we're talking about our model, a lot of our models based off that, that here was a city that was 80% black, that had never had a black mayor and the same mayor who was the mayor when our people were beaten on the bridge, bloody Sunday in 1965 had maintained that was still the mayor in 2000. And it was a combination of what we see across the board. It was a combination of one, how black voters were really marginalized from the process, right? Um, how there was uh, misinformation too, how they would actually use the runoff system. And then the third thing was voter suppression. That every element that we're seeing right now in Georgia, that's why, you know, Cliff and I was like, oh, we prepared for this. We, when we came to Georgia, we were like, this is all y'all got. It's like, <laughs> okay, we good. So, Latasha, there are some unique things that Georgia has that have helped in this fight against voter suppression. You got Metro Atlanta, one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in the country. I think the metro area gets about a thousand new residents a week. And that's not the case in Alabama. That's not the case in Mississippi. So when you don't have that influx of new people and young people and folks from all over the country to build coalitions with, how do you apply the strategies that you guys have used in Georgia to states like Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana who don't have a Metro Atlanta to start the fight from? Excellent question. I think that's why it's important that we have an analysis as we're doing this work in the state and that we're operating from this framework of helping communities build power as they see that power. As we're looking at these other states, there's a number of things that I think. One, I think about activating. How do you activate black voters? Okay. Really recognize um, how do you have a strategy that is really not centered on political candidates or political parties, but centered on how does that community itself build power? That's mm -hmm. made the difference, right? Right. Because there's some changes, there's some shifts. And when you see the opportunity to make those shifts, how can you take advantage of it? 
there is a theory that these kinds of voter suppression laws, like we're seeing in Georgia, like we've seen in other places, actually have the reverse effect. And they make people pay attention and get more organized to actually go out to vote. Do you think that there's anything to that? Do you think that results in higher levels of engagement? I don't think that voter suppression in itself moves folks. You know, that whole notion that people have to be oppressed like mm-hmm. that, that works in our favor for us to be oppressed. There's something fundamentally I think that that is wrong about that anyway. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, but I do believe that what you have to do is take in the, in these moments, um, that we're seeing that we have to actually exploit these moments. We have to take these moments to use them in a way that we're actually politically educating our communities. I don't believe that you stop there. For example, the truth of the matter is the Voting Rights Act of 1965 was a compromise, that it in itself was not enough for us. That right. at this moment that we shouldn't just say stop the bill and repeal the bill, that ultimately we've got to take it farther. That for what we need is we need the immediate restoration. The John Lewis Advancement Act, it needs to be restored so that we have the the immediate restoration of 1965 um, Voting Rights Act. We also need H.R. 1 for the People Act. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more on Georgia voting rights with activist Latasha Brown. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it. And we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to Slate.com slash Amicus Live for tickets. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about fighting voting restrictions in Georgia with Latasha Brown. Joe Biden has been asked a lot of questions about voting rights. Joe Biden has been asked a lot of questions about Georgia. Here's how Joe Biden recently responded when he was asked about the new law in Georgia. And I want us to talk about what that means on the other side. The new Georgia election law, Mr. President? The new Georgia election law? It's an atrocity. The idea, if you want any indication that it has nothing to do with fairness, nothing to do with decency. They passed a law saying you can't provide water for people standing in line while they're waiting to vote. You don't need anything else to know that this is nothing but punitive designed to keep people from voting. Do you have any confidence or are you more enthusiastic that Joe Biden's in the office? Do you see anything so far that leads you to believe that he'll be helpful? and helping the fight for voting rights. 
Listen, I certainly believe that that Joe Biden is going. That is like he and Trump. That's like talking about Mars and Earth. Those are two, <laughs> two different, completely different planets. I certainly believe that Joe Biden is going to be very different around this this particular issue. I think it's going to require people putting pressure on the Biden administration um, and the Senate to end the filibuster and to be very aggressive with this. You know, part of the concern that I have is I wasn't terribly excited, quite frankly, about his pick for DOJ. As a civil rights person, we weren't that excited about uh, Merrick Garland. He had no real history of civil rights, none, no history of civil rights. So here you in the time that I think we need someone, this is when I really need an Eric Holder, right? <laughs> when we need someone to really fight and, and take a stand around kind of voting rights and civil rights, he, we've got, uh, he, he appoints someone, a DOJ, who I think is, that's his area of weakness, in my opinion, right? Let me just kind of be honest that, you know, the, the, the bottom line is, I don't know anybody that fights for democracy you know, in the ways that black people and communities of color have fought for democracy. But I actually think this is the most critical issue facing this country, not just because of black people, but what happens, those laws that are designed to impact black people also have a measurable impact on the entire country. And that when you actually infringe the rights of black folks, that you're actually putting democracy, not just for black folks, you're putting democracy in in, in jeopardy. So, Latasha, people see what's happening in Georgia, and they're in different places. They're they're in Pennsylvania, they're in Michigan, they're in Ohio, they're in Arizona, and they they want to participate. They want to help. They want to help fight voter suppression in Georgia. But sometimes they're facing similar problems in their own backyard. So, what is your advice to people who both want to be involved, they want to help, but they also may be facing these issues at home? Well, let me say this. While we're based in the South, we're in Michigan. Let me be real clear. Where black people were in this last election cycle, we were in Michigan. We were in Pennsylvania. Like we're we're in those up South states, too. Um, But I think the way that people can actually support one, I think it's important to really be able to support our work, follow our work and support our work. So go on www.blackvotersmatterfund.org. One of the things you can do, we always have opportunities for volunteers. We do text message parties. We do postcard campaigns. We're always campaigns that are going on that you can get involved and get engaged. The second thing that what we believe is also that all power is local and that Mm -hmm. is important, whether it's a Black Voters Matter it may not be a black voters matter in your community, but there's some organization that is on the front lines doing this work. That's what our premise is. Our premise as an organization is that there is already existing infrastructure. How can we build the capacity of that? And we know that to be so because last year we were able to identify over 600 organizations that are actually doing work in the 15 states. And we were able to invest over $10 million in those 600 organizations. So they are there. They are on the ground, black led grassroots groups. And so what we ask is that you take time also to reach out and find out who's doing work in your community because we do believe that all politics are local mm-hmm. and support. Find a political home that you can be involved in, that you can be engaged in. Write a $5 check or $500 check. You will be amazed at even those small donations, how they actually are affirmations. They're saying that you're doing a good job, mm-hmm. right? They're saying that we're work with you. We're standing with you. The third thing is that we've got to monitor this voter suppression. It's not just coming. Whatever happens in the South, I'm telling you, it's coming your way, right? And so I think it's really important that you all literally reach out to your senators, your congressional delegation, and let them know that it is critical that they support 
um, and do everything that they can to support the passage of H.R. 1 and H.R. 4 to get it out of the Senate. If that means in the filibuster, then you got to end the filibuster. And I don't see any other way to do it without ending the filibuster. So we have to really take this as not a Georgia issue. This is a democracy issue. This is a human rights and a civil rights issue. Latasha Brown is co-founder of Black Voters Matter. Thank you so much for getting on today with us. Thank you, Jason. Thank you for having me. If you're enjoying A Word, please subscribe, rate, and review. Did you know you could be listening to this show ad-free? All it takes is a Slate Plus membership. It's just $1 for the first month, and it also helps us keep making our podcast. Sign up now at slate.com slash a word plus. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel and Jasmine Ellis. Asha Saluja is the managing producer of podcasts at Slate. Gabriel Roth is Slate's editorial director for audio. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of podcasts at Slate. June Thomas is senior managing producer of the Slate Podcast Network. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.